So that's right. So um, four daughters, that's right, four in a row. I don't think there's many parents in the house, but it's pretty severe when you get four of anything in the row, right? <laughs> so if you get four speeding tickets in a row, it's like, whoa, I should slow down. Or like, I don't know. I get audited by the IRS four years in a row. What's going on? It's like, you have four daughters, sir. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, this is rad and all, but a little homie in the house would go a long way. Um, so anyway, I only have 20 minutes. So I don't know what anyone can do in 20 minutes that's going to do much, but I'm going to do my best. Um, my backstory is a little awkward and different. I was, uh, when I was your age, um, I sent a video to MTV, and uh, they accepted me to be on a couple MTV reality shows. So raise your hand if you've watched a reality show. Okay. Yeah, the rest of you are lying. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Two cool dudes with tie, skinny ties and beards. They're like, no, I've never seen a reality show. Oh, really? Yeah, sure. You can go to confession, Father Ernesto. Line them up. I was on two reality shows on MTV, uh, The Real World, which is old school, like the, the original reality show. I was on the 10th season of that. You can Google me. I'm kind of a big deal. Um, the problem with going on a reality show after high school, when you're in college, you know how in high school, like, it's all about comparing yourself to others? Like, you know, can I jump as high as them? Because guys, girls, you've never once in your life been concerned about whether or not your vertical is as good as another girl's? Like, have you ever thought of that? But boys, we lose sleep at night because we can't touch the door frame in seventh grade, okay? <laughs> girls, you found other ways to compare yourself with one another. I don't understand it. I live with five women. I still don't understand it. But we compare ourselves a lot in high school, right? Can we just agree that was a thing? We compared each other a lot. Um, and then you get into college and you do a lot of that, even more comparison. It's like, how did you do in your test? How did that go? And then you go on a reality show and then it's like, it gets even worse because you're comparing. I mean, this, this is not an abstract thing. I'm talking about my life, okay? Is you watch an episode and you say, well, how much footage did I get and someone else get? You know, how many episodes does my face show up first? How many episodes do I get to be the cool, funny guy who has it all understood? And then when am I the weird guy in the back who's just completely aloof, right? <laughs> like, I had to live with this. And every Tuesday night at 10, I got to watch this stupid show so that when I wake up in the morning and go to my class, I get to know what 300 people in the lecture hall think of me, okay? The comparison trap. Let's just think of those words, the comparison trap. One of the greatest traps we've created for ourselves, like we hooked this up to create misery, is comparison. It happened in high school. It heck, it happened in high school. It happened again in college. And if you've ever been on a reality show, I'm sure you could stand next to me and be like, yeah, that, that's kind of, it's kind of what you do. So after MTV, I had all these illustrious ways to compare myself to other people. Who was in People Magazine more? You know, who was in OK Magazine? Doesn't matter anymore, OK is not a magazine anymore. Actually, magazines aren't magazines anymore, so it doesn't even matter. But there was a time where they printed your face on a piece of paper and they sold it to people. It was called a magazine, and it was awesome. <laughs> and I was on the cover of TV Guide, and I looked fresh, OK? <laughs> But we compare ourselves to one another. But we have this thing, though, where at first it's our way to kind of get our bearings, and then it, we start to obsess over it. After the show, of course, I want to know who's doing well. You know, how are you doing? How's your career? You got 15 minutes of fame. You go to the mall. People want your autograph. How does it work out? So I was living in New York City. I moved to the ghetto in New York, one, because I'm cool like that. And you know, you need street cred. So until you've lived in the ghetto, you're nothing to me. And mostly the guys, I'm talking to the guys. So if you're just kind of born and raised preppy Scottsdale guy, I'm gonna totally whoop up on you after this. Um, but I have cred. You may not know to look at me, but I have cred. I lived in a rough part of town. The uh, rent was cheap. The rent was cheap. Um, it was great. As long as you didn't die, it worked out great. So if you didn't get shot, it was awesome. 
And um, I moved to Phoenix after that, and I had a good time in New York. It was right after the show, right after I graduated college, and it was awesome. Um, but then I heard of someone else on my show who also moved to New York. So this is like my peer, right? We're the same age. We went to different universities. We're on the same TV show. And he moves to New York, and I start to hear about his stories. He did not live in the hood, okay? He didn't have to actively think, thank you, Jesus, for not letting someone stab me, okay? <laughs> he lived near where they filmed, hypothetically, the show Friends and Seinfeld, okay? A rich, nice part of New York. And he lived there for two years, maybe three. No one can figure out what he did for a living, but apparently it was so awesome, it allowed him to basically do nothing except hang out in New York. Now, you've heard the statement, if you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Imagine making it so good in New York, no one has to know what you do for a living. How baller is that? <laughs> you get to hang out and be you and be a baller, right? All the while, I'm working hard in my life trying to do like a real career with a real degree, not some stupid MTV street cred, but I'm actually trying to build something great in the world. Well, fast forward five, six years later, um, he and I got to hang out again. It was pretty awesome. Hadn't seen my friend, like we were on the show together. I watched him on TV, he watched me on TV. You know, Facebook comes along, you become Facebook friends. We were at an MTV reunion. And I actually got to talk to him. I was fascinated about this mythical experience he had in New York. And at this time, the show White Collar had come out. Does anyone watch the show White Collar? Okay. Yeah, so now he's telling the truth. Thank you. Um, so I'm thinking this guy's like the Neil Caffrey. But deep down, I'm a little bit jealous, a little bit jealous, hashtag jealous, okay? Because I lived in the hood, and I was lucky not to get stabbed in the face, and he did nothing, and he lived in a rich part of town. And I said, where did you live in New York? And he kind of looked at me, and he started to laugh. And he said, don't you know, Matt, I moved into your old apartment, into your old bedroom. And I'm like, and you didn't get stabbed? He's like, no, it was awesome. The rent was so cheap, I hardly even had to work. So do you see what just happened there? I spent five years comparing my experience of New York City that Frank Sinatra told us, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Five years being jealous of a friend of his life in New York when he lived in the same apartment and he lived in the same bedroom. And we were both very fortunate. Now, however, the friend who moved in after him actually did get mugged. Not stabbed, but he got mugged. So his story is terrible. <laughs> but think about this. How often do we compare ourselves for others, uh, with others, right? How often do we do that? So here we are at the inaugural event for YCP. I asked them to change the name because I, I like YCP, but I don't know. I think like young Catholic gangsters would be pretty cool too. <laughs> You're Catherine, so you're on board. I saw a fist pump. That was cool. I just think like when you hashtag something YCG and then you have to tell someone what it is, that's an exciting day at the office. <laughs> like the, the fact that you're a part of like a, a virtuous version of LinkedIn, that does nothing for me. I think that's terrible. But if we're gangsters for Jesus, now you've got my attention. <laughs> By the way, when you get home, I want you to Google these two words. LinkedIn sucks. The number one search result will be my company website. That's right. Why? Because I hate LinkedIn so bad. I want to create a virus just to delete it from the earth. And you all are afraid to laugh along with me because you still think it's the promise for the next chapter of your career. Let me tell you something. It's not, okay? But if you go, if you Google LinkedIn suck, I've got 10 reasons why it sucks, complete with memes to explain why. <laughs> that, those two keywords have driven more traffic to my company website than anything we've ever done. Because apparently enough people agree with me that LinkedIn sucks. Eventually someone just says, dang it, I'm gonna Google it, LinkedIn sucks. And then they find their tribe. <laughs> Every week I get an email from a tech startup a founding tech startup like a Mark Zuckerberg guy that says, hey, Matt, I can't wait to show you our LinkedIn killer. Like, I've become a celebrity amongst people who hate LinkedIn. <laughs> this is awesome. This is like my fifth version of a celebrity. This is working out really well for me, okay? 
The question is, okay, so we're talking about the comparison trap. I wanna talk about your career, okay? Right now, if you were to log on to LinkedIn, you have some friends from college who have a much longer job title than you do. They're the executive vice assistant president. <laughs> yeah, what executive is an assistant to anyone, right? But they are the executive vice assistant president to global initiatives on um, conglomerate efforts. <laughs> Translated, they organize company birthday parties, okay? <laughs> You've seen The Office, right? They're the parting planning committee. But since no one knows they work there, they invented a title on LinkedIn, okay? What I'm getting at here is that for your career, naturally, K through 12, you know, elementary school, it's about we gotta, you know, we gotta ace this thing so we can be like dope middle schoolers. Then middle school, you gotta make this thing rock because high school is just around the corner and you gotta get in this school. And then it's like your SAT, your ACT, and it's like this big buildup. It's been like 16 years of lockstep preparation for this final day where you actually create a resume and you click send, right? And then you enter this wild world of adulthood, which is, which is kind of a paradox. It's the most boring and awesome thing you've ever done, right? You're like, adulthood is awesome. Adulthood sucks, you know? Like, I love um, that one, that hashtag adulting is hard. At first, I thought that was adultery is hard, and I'm like, I'm not interested in this. But then I saw a t-shirt that said, like, adult is hard or something. I'm like, okay, you have my attention now. But we have this thing where we get into adulthood, and we look at our career, and we start to look at one another. And I think there's a million ways that we can invent to compare ourselves to others. LinkedIn is one thing. If you ever listen to a friend of yours parent, that is the worst person to listen to. Because a friend of yours parent is like, oh yeah, she owns a private jet. She lives on a yacht. She works one day a week. And when she does work, all she does is go on Pinterest, right? And then you're stuck thinking like, you do what? And they're like, oh no, 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 she works hard. Twice a week she goes on Etsy, you know? <laughs> All the guys don't know, but you girls, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Um, so my goal is to somehow find a way to judge our career in a way that's not as dumb as me in New York City and not as stupid as LinkedIn. There's gotta be a better way to get a grid on this one, right? There's gotta be a better Venn diagram, right? Could you show me a spreadsheet Show me the ROI of my retreat and my prayer life. Show me something. So I'm gonna give you three ideas, very simple stuff. If you think this is complicated, you don't belong here, okay? <laughs> three simple things. I think your job is intended for three purposes. Number one, make money. Number two, make something awesome. Number three, make the world a better place. Let's start with those. Number one, make money. If your job doesn't cover your living expenses, you know how much you hate your job. Don't raise your hand. <coughs> Let's try to keep some dignity in this joint, okay? <laughs> but if your job does not cover your expenses, you hate your job. And you probably hate it when people say, don't worry, God will lead you where you need to be. It's like, listen, I have student loans, bro. <laughs> and my job sucks because you haven't seen that piece of paper I get deposited every two weeks, because it hurts, right? You have to make money at your job. Like if jobs were called like volunteer positions, guess what, no one shows up, okay? It doesn't work that way. Your job has to provide for you. Now this one's very sensitive, and we're in a political year. Just so you know, every time there's an election coming up, prepare to feel like vomiting every time you read the news. For the rest of your adult life, just mark it every four years. On this year, I will vomit every morning. Because the news media is gonna go up to a voter, translated some random dude who has unrealistic expectations in life. Women are more reasonable. Whenever women are questioned about a political, you know, like an election year, they've got something to say. Guys are like, hey, I want a president that'll buy me a yacht. You know what I mean? <laughs> women are just like, no, that's not the government's job. Guys get confused on that. But here we are in an election year, and we have all these radical ideas about what work is supposed to be. 
like no matter what, I need to get paid this much. And I know we've all felt that, right? Like we're like, hey man, I got bills. You need, have you seen how gas goes ups and down? Like, do you know how hard this is? Like you want me to dress like a professional, but have you actually tried to buy silk tie? Do you know what that costs? You know, like, you know, girls, you know, like I need brown heels, I need white heels, I need black heels, I need pink heels, I need sea foam, it's seasonal, okay? <laughs> like, I got to represent but it costs money to look like the professional you want to show up into the conference room. And like, do you know what it costs to drink Starbucks every day and to look like I got it together when I show up? <laughs> I pour Dunkin' Donuts into this Starbucks cup. <laughs> so yes, your job should provide for your basic needs. The trap we want, <laughs> Apparently that meant something to you all. <laughs> so, if I were Kanye, this mic would be on the floor and I'd be out of here. <laughs> your job has to provide for your needs. There's some really tricky parts to this. There's the economic climate. We've heard about this one, right? Everyone's told you like the worst thing ever. They're like, well, when I graduated college, everything was easy. They're like, you, this is terrible. You might as well just quit your job and be homeless. Make more money being homeless, you know? Um, it's been tough. So how does that work out? Like, how do you get paid a just wage when the economy is in ruin, right? How do you get paid a just wage when the person above you um, isn't going anywhere, so it's hard to get promoted into her position because guess what? This is the last position you'll ever have. She's about 20 years away from retirement, right? How do you get a raise above hers when she's already there and you can't get a raise? This is complicated is what I'm saying, right? So we don't want to fasten unrealistic expectations, right? Not all degrees are equal. This is like the hard, this is what economics professors, when you ever felt like an economics professor was like punching you in the throat, they're usually talking about the value of your degree, right? So you're paying them to take their, ta their class so they can diss your psychology degree. You're like, how does this work out? Maybe I should be an econ professor, and then all I can do is make fun of, e of psych majors, and then I would get paid for that. That's a sweet deal. Make fun of children and get paid for it. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes in an econ class, right? We've all been there where you walk away going, man, maybe I chose the wrong degree. But we have a supply curve and a demand curve, and they meet at a specific point. And degrees, people don't always meet where we want. Like, we all want more money. I've never met someone who said, you know what, I've got enough money. Everyone's like, you know, I could use a little more, right? So when it comes time to what is our job about, this stuff is hard. I don't have any perfect answers for you, but what I do know is this. If your job is just about money, I know how that turns out. I'm gonna name a few words and just see how you feel in your gut because I believe these names are synonymous with chasing money. Kardashian. What happened in your soul just now? Did it turn black for a minute? <laughs> now, it's an illustrious story. It's big. If there was a magazine still around, it would be on it. But if you pay attention to that hashtag Kardashian, you see a, a lot of stories about what happens when you just chase money. Um, but it happens in the business world as well. So we call it hubris. You know, there's hubris. That's when people in business places, that's what started this whole economic crisis that kind of tanked your like, life goals for about five years. That was hubris, right? Um, so I know enough to know that chasing money is a bad idea, but trying to figure out the rest of this, which is how much money do I need to make and how does all that work, I don't have an explanation for that yet. But I'm gonna move on to the next one, see if we can get some clarity. Number two, make something awesome. I believe God creates us with big ideas, right? There's a reason when you hear an awesome story, you kind of get jealous. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, guy escaped airplane with a hang glider he made out of seatback tray tables, right? <laughs> Girls, I don't know if that means anything to you, so I'm not going to speak to you right now. But guys, if you had read that story, it's not true. But if it were possible to take seatback tray tables, make a hang glider, and escape a crashing plane, dope day at the office. And if you can save some women and children, even better. If you need more, just watch Scully. Cool movie, right? He's Catholic too, by the way, Scully. The guy who landed the plane you know, in the river, cool dude, okay? Hashtag awesome. Um, 
Make something awesome. I think we weren't created. Does anyone remember the movie Office Space from way back in the day? <laughs> Peter Gibbons, okay? Do you remember how they got lethal? They got legit with that uh, photocopy machine, the printer, PC load letter. They brought down the hammer and they whipped up on it like it was a gang fight. We weren't meant to live that way. Like we weren't meant to live that way. We were made to do great things. John Paul II talked about this all the time, that we weren't meant to be average. We were meant to be great. Now, what gets complicated is you've got characters like Mark Zuckerberg, who creates Facebook, which is like the best worst thing in our lives. Let's just call it for what it is. It's like the worst way to spend the best day of your life is on Facebook, right? Um, you have a guy like Mark Zuckerberg, and he's like 12 years old, right? Maybe he's 13 now, and he's worth like three trillion. Um, I don't know. He'll hit puberty soon. But we know he's a trillionaire before he hit puberty. You have those examples. Right? He did something awesome, but what are different ways of being awesome? I'm going to give a few quick stories of awesome. My baby, Roxana, got RSV last year, which is a restricted breathing. And I watched Roxana, which is the sweetest, most adorable baby, struggle to breathe. And if you want to know what hell feels like, it's when your baby can't breathe. And we brought Roxana to a hospital, and I watched these beautiful, soulful nurses step into that room and bring Roxana back to life. And before we left that hospital room five days later, I cried and I hugged seven nurses whose name I did not know, but they kept me company in the night when the little alarm goes off because my baby can't breathe. And when I left, I looked them in the eyes and I looked through my tears and I said, what you do matters. What you do here is awesome. Never forget what you do here. Every time I drive by a hospital now, my wife and I pray for the families that are in that building, and we pray for those nurses and doctors while we're trying to find the right radio station or hope for the stoplight to stay red a little longer so I can text my homie. Someone's in that building saving someone who's fighting for their life, okay? So to make something awesome, is not about being Mark Zuckerberg, but it's about being the nurse in the world that you live in. And I don't care what you do. I've met the most awesome professionals in every, did you ever watch Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Give it up for Mike Rowe and those people, right? Like you watch your episode of Dirty Jobs and you're like, okay, so wait, I don't like my fax machine. <laughs> and it makes me want to drink at work. And this guy has this kind of attitude, right? So clearly, we were made to do something awesome. We weren't made to be average. As Catholics, you were not made to fit in at work. You should always be that person that people are a little bit uneasy around because you stand for something and you're not gonna fall for anything. People should not just like you, they should respect you. My grandfather taught me that a long time ago. If everyone likes you, you have a problem. If a lot of people respect you, then you're making a difference, right? Number one, make money. Number two, make something awesome. Number three, make the world a better place. Um, on my drive over here, there was a few different coffee shops I passed. Actually, this morning, I was at a coffee, uh, this afternoon, I was at a coffee shop with a client. Um, and this client, they make medical equipment for people in their last days of life. Like, I was a part of MTV, right? Like, I sat in limos, I walked on red carpets. You know, like, I, I was a part of that cool life. My friend works for a company that makes medical equipment that lets someone live for another month so they can heal relationship with their friends and family. You tell me who's cooler, someone who makes a stupid reality show or someone who makes a medical device that makes someone's life longer so they can heal their relationships. There's no question in my mind what's of more value. I sat with my friend this afternoon talking about his company, how they went from worst to number two in the country based on what they're doing, how they're overhauling their marketing plan and they need our help for it, right? We sat at a Christian coffee shop. I still don't know how that works, but I like the idea that it's out there, right? <laughs> Apparently they got a concert venue in there and they played some dope music and everything was good, right? That was a good experience. On my drive up here, I passed by Bikini Coffee. And I'm like, what qualifies Bikini Coffee? Is that like a flavor, you know? Is that like Ethiopian or like Yurgachev or whatever? And I saw the drive-through window. Are you familiar? I'm not going to talk about this too much. Okay, Starbucks, I lean over here, okay? Here, here's your change. 
Bikini Coffee, the windows down here are neat. Clearly, people are going there for more than coffee, okay? Two models. Let's serve some delicious coffee and let's build up community. That was this afternoon. This af later this evening on the drive up here, let's sell coffee and let's exploit women while we do it. It's like prostitution, but you don't get in trouble, right? So these are obvious examples. Like clearly there's examples of making the world a worse place, predatory lending, right? So if you work at a bank right now and you're going after people who aren't qualified for the loans you're trying to get them to do, or I know there's a lot of recruiters in the room for universities. If you're recruiting students who don't have what it takes to be a college student, you're creating a problem for someone else, okay? There are very clear ways. Um, the, the list goes on. Some are on this end of the spectrum. It's completely awful. Some are in the gray area. And this is what we have to obsess over. Every day you have to ask yourself, am I making the world a better place or am I contributing to the downfall of this society? And you know what? I'm going to use those words because I believe it, right? Because I believe we were made for more. We don't have to do this. So let's review. I've got like 30 seconds left. Comparison trap is everywhere. It was in high school. It was in college. It was on a reality TV show. And guess what? It's in your inbox, and you better believe it's on LinkedIn. I hate LinkedIn. Please Google LinkedIn sucks, and you'll find out why. So since we all agree that LinkedIn sucks, we're beyond that now. You have three ways to judge how your career and your professional life is working out. Number one, is it providing for your basic goods? My challenge to you all is to, to keep a journal. I know back in the day people like to keep diaries and people keep a blog and all of a sudden you think anything you do has to be published with the universe. Guess what? It doesn't, okay? It's great. Like, you know, dignity and solitude and reflectiveness is highly underrated, okay? <laughs> Go home, fire up a Google document, write these three things down. Earn money, make something awesome, change the world, and ask yourself on each of these some hard questions. Is there something I could be doing better? Am I weak sauce at work? Could I be earning more money if I tried harder or was more focused, if I complained less? if I was more positive. I mean, I don't know you, I'm not being a hater, I'm not being a lover, but guess what? Your self-awareness is gonna unlock most of your life opportunities, including your career. Be self-aware, what can I do better at work to make more money? And guess what, when you make more money, you get to treat your friends, you get to throw more uh, big fat bills in the collection baskets, so you don't have to be those one dollar guy. <laughs> my daughter, my daughter Stella blew it up three Sundays ago at mass. She opened up her purse, which she made, Okay, that's how legit Stella, she made a purse. Have you ever made a purse? I don't think so. <laughs> Stella made a purse, she saves her money, and like a diva, collection basket, she said, hold up. She unbuttons her purse like the world was watching. She pulled out two 20s and dropped it like it was meant to be. <laughs> she is five years old. She paused four pews of people because they're like, whoa, the collection best is, is coming. This is one part of Mass where I know what to do. And, she and she's five, and she watched four pews. Well, I watched four pews of people watch her drop into 20s. When you make more money, it's not just about upgrading your iPhone more frequently. It's not just an, about, you know, not pouring Dunkin' D into your Starbucks cup but it's about what you can do for others. And that's an awesome feeling to have. Journal about that. Number one, making more money. Is there something I can do? Is it gonna be, a, is, am I gonna switch to another company? Um, do I need to, I mean, I don't know. You gotta figure that, this is your problem, not mine, okay? <laughs> but if you stop just there, guess what? This is going nowhere. You're just like everyone else in the world. That's why we need number two and three to journal about. Number two, make something awesome. I worked at a nonprofit youth ministry for years, and we did some cool stuff at Life Team. But I'm gonna humble, and this is on a record. I've got a microphone on right now, just like I'm old school on a reality show. Okay, like right now, this was my life, mic'd up for six months straight. We did a lot of cool projects. There's one project I did that in my heart of hearts, I'm more proud of than anything else. I'm gonna show you my cards, okay, right here, right now. We had a summer camp that had a broken toilet system. 
Go ahead and throw a thumbs down for how uncool this story started. Right now, take your thumb, point it down. That's right. If there was like a gross button, you would have clicked it right now on my tweet, right? $200,000 to fix our sewage system. We didn't have $200,000. I thought we could do it better. I found an A-team of people. I used words on Google I've never said with my mouth, and I'm afraid someone would publish my search history. I'm like, how do you fix complicated toilet systems, right? We repaired this waste treatment plant that was estimated at $200,000 to fix for $12,000. That was 184,000 donation to the most awesome ministry for young people. And it was because I humbled myself to raise my hand and say, I will fix the waste treatment plant. Was that cool? Absolutely not. My inbox looked like hell, okay? <laughs> you don't want to see the subject lines that I received. But it showed up in an, basically $184,000 donation. Do you know how many chicken dinners you got to cook? Do you know how many fundraising events you got to organize to get 184K? And it did through my humble service, and I'm telling you about it right now. So what I'm saying is, be humble, okay? Make something awesome in your journal. Take where you are, make something awesome. Look around you, it's not complicated. What part of my company is bad, and how can I make it better? What can I do different in my job? Do you think your meetings are boring? Well, guess what, that's your fault. Because you've never been awesome in a meeting. You've never hosted a meeting that blows people's minds, okay? You've never been so prepared that you have an agenda and then follow-up responsibilities before you actually showed up in the conference room, okay? You've never followed up within 10 minutes of a meeting to let people know what a great job they did and you expect to see that on your desk by seven in the morning, right? You have a chance to be the fresh prince of your office <laughs> if you would choose to be. I'm going old school, guys. I'm going Nick at night, okay? Finally, do you have a chance to change the world? Crack it open in your journal. I don't think changing the world is always exciting. Mother Teresa, who was just canonized like three hours ago or something, um, she said that she went decades without feeling the presence of God. Does that kind of hurt your heart a little bit? You're just like, how can this happen? I can't make sense of that. But what I do know is she served God for three decades when she felt like she was far away from God. And maybe, just maybe, God allowed for that challenge so that a new generation of servants in the workforce could say, if Mother Teresa can serve the most destitute of destitute for three decades without a divine spark, then I can wake up and do my job with dignity and respect, and I can make the world a better place, and I'm going to do it through what I do right here, right now. My inbox, maybe not rock star status, but I'm going to do this with some finesse and dignity, right? If I, if I were to be brave, I would say I'm going to do it with some holy swagger, okay? This is what I want you to do. Go home, fire up a Google document, make money, make something awesome, make the world a better place. To finish, Pope John Paul II wrote an encyclical, I'm the worst Latin pronouncer on earth. I think Latin deserves an English accent, but it never does. Because if you were to say things with like an English accent, it's like, whoa, check me out, I'm on Gladiator or something. Laborum exercen said entirely wrong. If you're listening to this on the internet, go ahead and hate on me in the comments section. John Paul II said this in his opening line of his, of his encyclical about work. Through work, man must earn his daily bread and contribute to the continual advance of science and technology, and above all, elevate unceasingly the cultural and moral level of society. We just covered those three, right? My point is this, to be a saint in your workplace isn't as hard as you think it is. It's about getting your priorities straight, knowing what work is about, and waking up every day and having the audacity to think that your life matters and that what you're going to do today is going to change someone's life.
And if that involves fixing the fax machine, get over yourself. I'm going to finish with a quick reflection on St. Joseph, and then we've got a few minutes um, for questions. Um, this is the prayer of St. Joseph, which is awesome. This is it. This is super legit. So Google this one, or Yahoo it if you're one of those people. <laughs> yeah, have some fun. Then go update MySpace. This is like the official prayer of YCP, so if you've got a card... Here we go. Grant me to look upon my work with the eyes of faith so that I shall recognize in it my share in God's own creative activity and in Christ's work of our redemption and so to take pride in it. When it is pleasant and productive, remind me to give thanks to God for it. And when it is burdensome, teach me to offer it to God in reparation for my sins and the sins of the world. Amen. We've got a few minutes, so I'd love to hear your questions. And if your questions are awesome, I'm going to give you something free. So raise your hand, because you're going to be cool when you raise your hand and ask a question. That wasn't for drama. I was getting something off the floor. <laughs> All right. So I have a super fresh Smith House hat. So seriously, don't even try this if you wear a tie every day. If you wear a tie on you know, Mondays, you can wear the hat. But I'm going to pretty much eliminate any accountants from wearing this hat. <laughs> Finance team, you're out. HR, no chance. Marketing, hells yeah. Um, and then I have, uh, I just grabbed these on the way. I've got two little moleskines with a, you know. It's company swag. Come on, guys. <laughs> I saw a, a question over here. So I guess it went away. Yeah, what's up? So Mike, so What's your name? My name is Kyle. Kyle, nice to meet you. What, what industry are you in? Uh, information security. Information security. Whoa. Are you in a, don't say yes or no, but are you an anonymous? No. That's awesome. <laughs> Kyle is not an anonymous. So, uh, double barrel question. Um, what inspired you to start your own company? And yeah. what was the biggest challenge you faced along the road? Yeah, great question, Kyle. I started two and a half years ago. It was a mix of inspiration. Um, that's a long story. Um, I, think, I think your 20s are a dress rehearsal. It was involved in theater, like little kids theater, church theater or something. Okay. Okay, don't be ashamed. Drama people are kind of weird, but it's okay. We get each other. <laughs> a dress rehearsal is when you do the play in your outfits, and it's on the stage, and it's lit, and you can't mess up your lines, but also people don't boo at you if you mess up. Your 20s are a dress rehearsal for your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So because you aren't the executive vice president, if you make a mistake, they don't kill you, okay? Um, or kill your reputation, or sink you on LinkedIn, right? The LinkedIn gangsters, you've seen them. Um, I think your 20s are a great opportunity to learn. And what's hard is in your 20s is there's these great stories. If you ever read Fast Company, Fast Company is a great, it's kind of like a glamour fashion magazine for like yuppies is what Fast Company is. It's like, hey, do you think your career is awesome? Guess what? It's not. Look at these people, you know. Um, but your 20s are your chance to, to try out everything you've learned and to make all the pieces come together. But I do think that not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur. But when you are an entrepreneur, you have a, have a unique chance to influence the world around you. And um, so I wanted to be able to do that, to work with different clients. And um, I would say the biggest challenge, um, I'll tell you what's not a big challenge, is being Catholic. That's not a challenge at all. Everyone th there's like this mythical, you know, you hear of like a boogeyman like at night, like the boogeyman, he's in the corner. Let me tell you about a boogeyman in the workplace. And the boogeyman is you can't be a Christian you can't be moral, you have to sell your soul, and you have to be this mean person that destroys people, and only then will you make more than 100000 a year. That is a boogeyman. Like, that's not real. That's a myth, okay? I have found that the competitive advantage I have over competitors, like what can we do that's better than them, is guess what? We actually care about you. We want your company to succeed. We know your name, and we ask you questions because we care, you know? So 
I don't know what the biggest challenge has been, but a big eye-opener for me to go from a more safer environment where there was a lot of Catholics to a more radical environment, I was expecting like everyone was gonna come and like punch the Catholic and you know, like, hey, let's smash a bottle on his head or something. But actually what I found is quite the opposite, is that people are like, whoa, you have ethics? You're not trying to rob me at night? You know, like, you're not gonna like ruin my company? It's like, no, I want you to succeed. And when people find out that you genuinely care about them, that goes a long way. Um, but entrepreneurship is, 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 you know, that's a whole other subject. But, um, you know, in the end it's like, what are problems in the world and solve them. That's, called, that's entrepreneurship. So thank you, Kyle. And by the way, if you were involved in Anonymous, I love your work. <laughs> Beard. Oh, so how do you balance church, work, and personal? I don't. Um, I think balance is the goal. <clears throat> so there's some things in life that, um, here's the thing. People write blogs um, about like their achievements. Like I'm a part of a thing like I said, I'm married, I have five children, I have four daughters. My, my wife is a part of this thing called like mom blogs. Boys, you don't know this, but mom bloggers are bigger than you will ever be. <laughs> there are mom bloggers on Instagram who have more followers than like Kanye and his whole posse put together. Excuse me. But what I'm getting at is that there, there's a popular blog topic, which is how to get balance in life to make it all work and to have perfect hair, right? Um, guess what? That blogger's lying, okay? It's not to say we shouldn't reach for it, but the fact is because you're reaching for balance, it gives you your best chance at getting there. Some days I've got a great family life, a great work life, and a great spiritual life. Other days I work 18 hours straight, I'm stressed, I kiss all other humans in my house goodnight, and I fall, I'm the last one to fall asleep. Other days I'm dad of the universe. The, the point is this, is that to aim for balance is what we're supposed to do. But don't beat yourself up when you don't get there. If you're bad at it because you're lazy, then yeah, whoop up on yourself. You deserve to feel bad because you're bad at this. Take time to pray. Don't be a loser. Um, if you're like, oh, I just can't get to mass because it's like 30 minutes out of my day. Oh, really? You spend an hour and a half on Facebook before the sun set. You couldn't squeeze in 30 minutes, right? Um, but I think in, in balance is the goal. And, and I don't know if you get it. I know that the people who get balance for one day take enough time to write a blog about it to make you feel bad about yourself because you're not there. Um, but I've given up trying for that. I, think, I have a more realist approach. I pray without ceasing. I said, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And oh, mercy, 500 times today. I'm not kidding, including 10 minutes before I got in the car to come over here and I sent one of the biggest proposals of my life to the biggest client I've ever met in my life. I said, Lord have mercy and I clicked send. <laughs> and then I drove here. I don't know what my inbox looks like right now. I'm kind of scared, okay? <laughs> Aim for balance, maybe you'll get there, maybe you won't and only your self-awareness will know if you can do better. We have time for two more questions. But I like that. You get a moleskin, homie. There you go. I'm not giving you hacks. I think you work in the finance department. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how involved are you with the youth? And if so, what you? Working with youth? What has that been like? Do you, are you a teacher? Yeah. Awesome. Um, if you have the privilege of working for youth, um, count that as a blessing every day. Have you ever actually worked with a bunch of executives? Like, I don't know if anyone in, the, in a corporate, like you're in a building on the third level and you got to sign in when you go in, then you walk down the hallway and you're sitting in a cubicle and then you go to a meeting with executives and you're like, okay, this is awesome. Everyone here has a title with the C in front of it, chief executive something. And then you go back to your desk and you're like, those might've been the most dull people on the planet. There are LinkedIn warriors and the last thing, <laughs> The last thing I want to do is to say, hey, do you want to go grab a cup of coffee after work? 
That's what your LinkedIn self does, but your high school self is like, you're a loser, you know? <laughs> to work with youth is a tremendous privilege. Um, you, I mean, you can, that's like a, a book, you know? That's like an inspirational movie. That's like a meme that makes you cry. Some memes are just that good. That's the gif of the little kid giving you a hug that you're, you just watch it for like 10 minutes and you're like, I just wish some kid would hug me like that. Um, God, children are a gift. I say it as a dad and as someone. Um, you, know, you know, do you know, so Frank Lloyd Wright, of course, Frank Lloyd Wright is a famed architect. One cool thing he said is um, youth is not a life passage. Youth is a quality. So youth is not something that started when you were 10 and is slowly fizzling in your 20s. Youth is a quality. And if you've ever met someone who's old but hecka young and fun, and you're like, how did you get to be 50 and cooler than me? You know, <laughs> how does that happen? It's because they've embraced the youth that they see around them. So if you're a teacher, awesome. My dad was a teacher. He was a middle school principal. Like young people have been around me my whole life. If you're lucky enough to work with young people, so what if people aren't gonna throw millions of bucks at you? Who cares? You're doing something that matters. And someday, you're gonna have that little kid grow up to be someone and she's gonna walk up to you at the mall and say, hey, you don't know me, but you helped me fix my owie in third grade and I wanna give you a hug. And that's gonna be the best hug you've ever got. So, you get a hat for that, buddy. You almost made me cry. Give that, Lenny, you don't, no, that's not yours, Lenny. Lenny works in finance, he doesn't deserve that. Okay, <laughs> one last question. I need to hear from the ladies. We've just been the dudes talking. What's new? All right, Jenna. Oh, good question. Leave it to the ladies to boom, 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 boom. She said, is it possible to do all three in your job? I would say in three quarters of your job, you can. Um, the thing is, the world's not built for you to do all three of those because we're in a broken world. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't shine and try. Uh, but I, like for the most part, like I've been really surprised with all the different industries that I've worked with. I'm always expecting to find some money-making industry that's just awesome and everyone drives like jets to work. And they're like, oh, that's so cute that you're Catholic, but guess what, you drove in a car, not a jet. I haven't seen that yet. I've only been at it for a few years. But I think you can do it wherever you go. And here's why, is that you work with people. And people need people who love them back. So even if your job's dumb, your boss is a Michael Scott, um, <laughs> you spend your whole day wishing that something else happened that wasn't this. You still work with people, right? And do those people not need love and compassion and understanding? Do they not need a, like a shoulder to cry on? You know, I don't want to get all emotional, but I'm going to get all emotional. Like we're humans and like, uh, there's a classic inspirational video that was popular in the 90s about these people who worked in Seattle at the fish market. Have you seen this one? This is classic. This is like awesome. But it shows these people who work a minimum wage job and their job all day is to deal with fish. Like fish, okay? You think your job is bad? Hold fish all day and then ask yourself, at least how do I smell when I leave the copy machine, right? <laughs> Might be Dilbert, but I don't smell like a fish. These people have created a culture in this fishmonger place in Seattle that is so stoked to be a part of their world, people inspire them. They made a video about working at this fish market, and the video sells for like thousands of dollars so that desk workers can be inspired by a bunch of people who decided that they're going to love their job together. So if people who work at a humble job can decide we're going to do this awesome, other people can. I'm going to give you an example to wrap up. My wife was a barista at a coffee shop, okay? Are you a barista? Apparently Sarah is. You feel me, okay? The coffee shop owners were MIA. Like they had an idea in like 1992 and then they left. No one knows where they went. The baristas had to open the store. They had to do everything. The interior was falling apart. 
they made a decision that in spite of everything that was miserable about this coffee shop, this was the freshest, most fun coffee shop. Both of the baristas that worked primetime hours were in youth group in high school. One a Protestant Christian guy, and then my wife who's Catholic. They remember what the core members who volunteered at their youth group, how that core member made them feel. So that young adult volunteer made my wife feel cool, and in this other church made this other barista feel awesome. They said, we're only 18 and 19 years old, but we're going to make a decision that when we serve coffee, we're going to love these grown-ups the way we were loved two years ago when we were a sophomore walking into youth group. And they did a few things. We're going to learn people's names. We're going to remember their drinks. We're going to help them make friends. And we're going to care about who they are. And we're going to serve them delicious coffee. This dumb coffee shop went from two people in line to people waiting out the door. Okay? By two high school, like teenagers, decided to make people feel awesome. Years later, this coffee shop that no one's seen the owners in since like 1992, okay? Since like Seinfeld started, no one's seen the owners. It's like been run entirely by teenagers. This has become a cultural spot within this part of town. When people get engaged, they come to the coffee shop to say, hey, this is my fiance. When they get married, they come and order a drink together and they swipe one credit card, not two. When they have a baby, they bring a baby in to introduce their baby to the world. So what my wife and her friend did, Dan, 15 years ago, has left an impact that's created a community and a culture in our part of town because two teenagers decided to love grown-ups in line at a coffee shop. If they can do it, we can do it. I think I'm going to drop the mic. But this is expensive, and I want to do that. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us into this world. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you for our aspirations. Thank you for our desires, and thank you for the needs that motivate us. Help this young adult group here at Young Catholic Professionals to connect with one another, to commit to one another, to share with one another as we make it through this such important chapter of our life in the young stages of our careers. Bless and anoint everyone here. Give them discernment as they consider about their income, discernment as they consider their impact on the world and what they're making and its awesomeness, and help us to make this world a better place. In the brokenness of our workplace and the awesomeness of our workplace, show us how it's done. And we pray this in your most holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One last plug, come back, come back. There are speakers who are coming after me who are like 30 times better than me and I can't wait for you to meet them and I can't wait for you to remember like, you know, that guy was okay, but his show was dumb <laughs> and I don't respect him. Um, but I want you to come back and I want you to commit to YCP, put it on your calendar, make it happen and don't be a tool. Like you have a name tag on purpose that's not so you can talk to the people who you know, okay? So introduce yourself and say, hi, my name is, I work in this industry, right? There's no reason you can't leave this room every month with three new best friends, right? And it's gonna work out really well for all of us. So thank you all for your time tonight and I'm gonna give it back over to our president.